Welcome to the Daily Dental Podcast. I'm Dr. Addison Killeen, and each day I will give you one insight on how you can optimize your practice using the methods that have helped me grow to a multi-million dollar business while maintaining a balanced and healthy personal life. Good morning and welcome to a weekend episode of the Daily Dental Podcast. Um, you know, I, on weekends, I love to bring in some of my friends or folks that really interest me. Um, today, we actually have uh, Mr. Tim Geisert. Uh, he's a former and very successful uh, chief marketing officer, CMO and CSO. Um, Tim brings a unique perspective to both sales and marketing. He provides insight to practices, um, insight and practice in the connecting of how to blend marketing and the blood, sweat, and tears of sales. Um, he works with executives and investors to connect those two departments to multiply your ROI. During his career, uh, Mr. Geisert has worked with a number of highly recognized global organizations such as Disney, GE, Ford, IBM, Union Pacific. Uh, he's been responsible for branding, marketing, and communications um, strategies that kind of range from cra uh, crafting messages targeted to Wall Street inv investors to orchestrating Super Bowl spots designed to drive consumer awareness. So uh, he was formerly the CMO for Bailey Lowerwin, uh, a nationally recognized marketing firm. He was also on the senior leadership team for Conexa, a multinational corporation which had 2,800 employees in 21 countries and was based here in Lincoln, Nebraska. In 2012, Tim helped the company sell itself to IBM for a reported $1.3 billion. Um, he's always been interested in talent and this is what attracted me to him, um, not the rest to rest on his laurels or anything, but now he's the executive on a leadership team that crafts the vision, shapes product strategy, and inspires the team to grow at a company called Octus IQ. And in his spare time, he's father, a pilot, and a golfer. So uh, Tim, welcome to the show. Wow, man, you've made me sound so good. I, I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I probably left out a bunch of uh, even more interesting facts, but your uh, your biography is quite long. So um, yeah, now if, I, now, now if I only look like George Clooney, then then I'd be freaking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> hey, well, you you have the office. I you know I've spent a, a number of hours in your office, and you have one of the coolest offices because of your time in your you know former executive roles. You got to work with huge corporations doing really cool campaigns. You know, I see you have like you have footballs, you have pictures of planes, um, you have really cool marketing campaigns that you did in your in your former life. Um, now, let's go back to that. You know, um, when you were you were in the executive positions in both the large marketing agency and Conexa, which focused around talent recruiting and behavioral analysis. Now, yeah. to a dentist and uh, all of our audience, those seem like fuzzy concepts. So, can you kind of explain what Conexa did and how it helped business owners? Yeah, I mean, really at the, the onset of it is that it really tried to study human behavior. And um, many of our clients were, you know, large multinational, but we also did a lot of work for small companies, um, individual companies. And even today, we work with very small startups and um, groups of, of people who are coming together to, you know, bring an idea to life. But and, and of course, talent is key, right? I mean, technology is ever on everybody's mind, but we kind of forget the talent part of it. And if you think about it, I mean, you, you listed off the stuff that I've done, but really what I've always loved is understanding human behavior because human behavior 
you know, in and with it is it's got patterns. We as humans are, you know, we, we create, we call it data today, but we, we create these patterns and those patterns help us learn about ourselves. It helps us learn about the world around us, but it also helps us really predict someone's success or understand someone's success so that we can find more people like that. And that's what we did at Conexa. You know, we were one of the largest behavioral sciences companies in the world. And uh, that's why IBM wanted to use this for their their smarter Watson uh, workforce uh, initiative. So, um, yeah, that's really what we did. Looking for that rigor of science and and behavioral science that helped predict uh, you know outcomes for for humans at a one on one basis or in a larger workforce. Well, that's that's the interesting thing. You do have data in evaluating like a single candidate, right, for a, a position. Now, how quickly can you gather enough data to make a reasonable justification as to whether they're going to be a good fit in your company or a not so good fit? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, part of it is, is you, you to really put some science behind how someone's going to perform in a job, you have to spend a lot of, a lot of years, a lot of time understanding those human patterns. And once you do that, once you understand what those are, and we used to study, you know, teachers and nurses and, you know, garbage um, engineers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything in between, you know, and executives. And they're just, it's interesting. They're, those patterns start to tell you things. So once you understand those patterns, you then have a way, you know, an IO psychologist can ask the right kind of questions to get the answer to that pattern. And then that creates an assessment test that any individual can take. So like, for example, because we've been doing this for, gosh, almost three decades now, it's, uh, you know, we can assess someone literally in 35, 40 minutes and have all this data and, you know, draw out a report that can be, you know, pretty doggone close to predicting how well someone's going to perform in a job. Yeah. So you're, you're relying on that one-to-one -one data of a quick test uh, matched against 20 years of statistical analyses amongst like hundreds of thousands of people, right? Right, right. Now you, you've, when you were at Conexa, you guys had a ton of data, um, which you said, you've told me privately in the past was really, really interesting. Can you tell me some of the insights you gleaned from that, you know, you're sitting on piles of data, like what did you learn through that? Well, I think for your audience, I think there's, there's a couple really important things to think about that you know you sift out of all that data one is you have to have a philosophy of of understanding and and explaining human behavior and there's really two choices when it comes to psychology there's the freudian psychology pathway and then there's there's the what we call the don clifton way or the the positive psychology which is freudian was all about trying to find out what was wrong with you to try to fix you and you know the positive psychology that really came on in about about 30 years ago is all about figuring out figuring out what's right about you and then helping you do that more and that philosophy you know there's always been this weird debate that makes no freaking sense to me whatsoever but it's always like well is it nature versus nurture right are you naturally that way and you know and is your environment drive everything well we have reams of data pattern after pattern, study after study, that it's really a nature times nurture. 
right? You take, you know, very good athletes. They don't just walk on the field and, and automatically be great. Tom Brady wasn't an amazing quarterback, you know, when he was 19, but he worked at it and he worked at it and he actually got better well into his 20s and his 30s, right? And so we all have to understand that, you know, you have to have positive psychology to figure out what's right about you, but we have to nurture these talents. And that's the second part of it is you got to split out what you're born to do and what you've learned to do. And that's that nature times nurture. And many times we try to blend it all together and it gets a little confusing. But when you start thinking about this going, okay, it's built on positive psychology. Let's figure out how you're hardwired from date of birth to what you've learned and grown in a job. And then you can really understand someone's success and find more people like them. Okay. That's so, helpful. Yeah, that's super. I mean, and that's interesting because in a dental practice per se, you know, typically it's a smaller team from anywhere between five and 25 to right. 30 in the large organizations. Um, so sometimes finding that talent or the finding the signal within all the noise is really difficult. So what have you learned about trying to figure out talent without using, I mean, obviously these tests are huge and are very helpful, but what have you learned in your different organizations? Um, how do you pick out the talent that you want on your teams? Yeah, it's always a challenge, right? You kind of, um, and, and because I, you know, I'm not a behavioral scientist, I'm a, I'm a marketing guy, right? And so really good marketing people ask a lot of questions. You know, this, I, I used to have this boss and you just say, all right, you talk, I listen, right? That's a good marketer. You talk, I listen. So it, I always ask a lot of questions. Like for example, uh, I was actually in a, in a dental practice here locally here, and it is just a, an electrifying place. I mean, it's just, it, it's not quiet. It's not subdued. There's not elevator music. It is like, it's like walking to, into some degree, just a very active beehive of activity and joy. And um, and there are people within that organization. And again, I'm just, you know, watching this whole thing and, and going, there are just key people that are really driving that. And so if I was trying to figure out how do I replicate that, I'd ask a lot of questions about each of those individuals. Right. And I'd learn what do they do? What is their background? In fact, one of the best questions I ask to understand someone at the core is, you know, what you know, what in your life shaped who you are today? I love that question. And it's one of the best questions to ask people when you're interviewing, because you really want to understand not just what they've learned, but who they are at the character. And some of those answers are phenomenal. They'll tell you about how they lost their loved one and how that shaped who they are today, how they played on a championship team or how, you know, they moved from Germany to Indonesia because of dad's job and how that shaped their 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 view. Those sorts of things I think is the first thing that I do. Understand who are those exemplars, no matter how big or small the business is. And then understand what makes them tick, what makes them who they are, because once you do that, then you can ask the questions of everybody else you're looking to bring into the organization and see how that really matches up. You know, do those cultural values, do those interesting stories and elements around who they are 
really blend nicely into a into a you know a great culture in a practice yeah well and and i guess that's so the key player like this or a few key players can really grow the culture and probably lead it in the right direction hopefully um but like how much say does the you know the dentist or the owner of the business um how should we approach setting that culture or hiring for that culture what would you say there? Yeah, you know, um, culture is an odd thing. We kind of know when it's present and when it's not. And we we really feel culture more than we can describe it. And um, and so I always described it as, you know, culture is very delicate. And, and you know, uh, any bad egg can break it. And mm -hmm. it is, it is, it is ver very much a situation where you want to make sure that as you're building a culture, you have the right kind of people that bring to life what your culture is. You know, like I, I've worked with a, an engineering firm. You walk into the place and it is quiet. It is heads down. It is, you know, and it was funny. I was commenting about this with one of the executives and he goes, well, you know, we build things that can fall down. We build things that people live in. We want a culture of diligence and of precision and dedication, you know, it's not a party place. This is very serious work that we do, right? And so you want to be able to have, and anybody in that kind of culture, someone who's maybe wildly gregarious or, you know, a distractor to that can make huge consequences in what the final outcome of, the, of what they produce, right? And, mm -hmm. and, uh, um, there, being a pilot, one of my favorite stories is about Kelly Johnson, who was who ran Lockheed Martin back in the day. And he, you know, he had two groups in building his company. He had those that built aircraft and those that dreamed of aircraft. And he used to talk about, and it was called Skunk Works for a whole bunch of odd, interesting reasons. But what he did is he wanted two different cultures. He wanted a culture on one side where everything was precision because what they built could fall out of the air. On the other end, he needed somebody, he needed a group of highly creative, let's shoot for the stars, which were a lot of our rocketry and a lot of the inventions that we had today, like the SR-71 and others, came from that. So he built two different cultures to, mm -hmm. to really achieve two different kinds of outcomes. And the first thing I would suggest is figure out what your outcome is. What do you want to have? How do you want people to feel walking into your practice? And what do you want them to walk away with as they leave? Yeah. Now, what I mean, what are a few tactical ways that you would say when you're hiring for either, you know, the skunk works creative type or the more diligent, uh, studious type? Like, what are a couple tactics that you would say when you're looking for hiring to match that culture? Because obviously you don't want to put someone in the wrong spot. Well, <clears throat> this is probably cheating, but... Um, when you're doing this, I don't trust myself. I usually, you know, because we we can get we can get a little head faked on someone that walks in. <clears throat> so you try to do two things to mitigate that. <clears throat> One is have your exemplars meet them. Anybody that comes into the organization, involve them in on the hiring process. Have them do the interviews and don't do these group things. Do the one-on-ones. You know, allow allow some conversation to really happen. Mm -hmm. Don't rush that. And that's one of the things that I, I, I do all the time. The second thing is, is 
there is so much great behavioral science out there, not just what we do, because we focus mostly on sales. That's our business right now. But there's a lot of great assessment tests that are not very expensive that can help you get a better sense of what that person is like on the inside. And that data and all of that, you know, 30, 35 years of positive behavioral science work, take advantage of that. Use that. Give yourself a little bit more of a data point when you're bringing people in and you're looking to hire, or you're really looking to understand who you have. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, those are good things to remember. Now, we're in a pretty uh, aggressive landscape of, you know, uh, there's workforce shortage, quite frankly, for dental hygienists, even dental assistants. Um, and so there's a lot of poaching going on. What are some of the things that we can do? And maybe this goes back to culture that where we can retain our talent and make sure that they don't get recruited to our competition or make sure they, you know, like in 2020, a lot left the workforce. You know, it is, we live in a wild time in so many ways, especially in, in healthcare and in the dental care world. I mean, it is, it, it is, it's, it's hard to find those right people. And when you find them and they become very successful, they get pulled like you're talking about. Um, this is just, I mean, there's no science behind this, what I'm about to say. Um, but one of the biggest things that you have to be, you can't be surprised, it, it, you know, and I'm talking, and I'm assuming many of the people that you're, they'll hear this or, you know, they're dentists, they run a practice and you can't be surprised when somebody leaves, you always need to stay ahead of that. Meaning you need to have those private conversations with your team, especially those that are your most valuable and figure out and understand, you know, what, not only what their work life is like, but what's their home life like, how are things doing? What can you do to help? You know, what are, what are the, you know, what are those pressures that we all have as humans and, and try to stay ahead of anything that might get in the way of them being and being successful in your organization and what can you do? to help them be successful, right? That's the single best thing. I don't know how many times I've talked to executives and I, you know, in our, in the companies that I've, I've been a part of, they just like, Oh, I never expected Jody to leave. Oh my, I just thought she was really, really happy. And I'd ask the question, well, when was the last time you sat down and, you know, took Jody for a cup of coffee and you just sat down and said, Hey, what's going on? You know? And it's, it's even more critical today because We've walled ourselves off socially. We don't go out and have a beer with employees like we used to, right? Mm -hmm. We don't go get coffee. We don't do those social things like we used to. And the next generation is all on these, right? So you have to try harder. But it's a lot easier to get ahead of that than get surprised with, with for example, Jody leaving and how are we going to replace her? Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it just goes back to being, just having those relationships sounds like. Yeah. Um, now, so right now, uh, your Octus IQ is very focused on um, salespeople. And I know at Conexa, you guys sold to virtually every major corporation in the world, um, these salespeople that were selling very high dollar contracts. Now in the dental world, that's very similar to a treatment coordinator. Right. Someone that, you know, they come, a patient comes in, maybe they need an ex extremely expensive um implant retained denture for $25,000. Right. Um, 
for a salesperson like this or a treatment coordinator in in our field, what qualities do you look for in these these salesy type people that would make them stand above and beyond the average person? The single biggest thing that we look for is people who ask really good questions. Ask really good questions. And um the and, and why is that? You know, when you ask questions of people and it, all of a sudden the table turns from it being about you to being about them. And and part and parcel to that is great salespeople or great people in this profession, they they ask the right kind of they ask really good questions that that one not is not only about them, but also makes the 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 buyer think, you know how get some insights into well, what is their thinking process uncovering what might be the barriers for doing it and when you ask really good questions you actually allow the customer to come to you on their terms versus many times people and this is why we think of salespeople you think they're they're just like you know you got to do this you got to do this or you should do this you know they're just like rifling off suggestions when in reality let the customer come to you by asking the right kind of questions and the opportunity to help them because really you're not trying to sell them something they don't want but there you're really trying to help them you know have a better life you know you know eat better be more healthy whatever the outcomes are on that but don't overplay it ask the right kind of questions let them come to you the second thing is is this trait that we've been studying and it's called learning agility Learning agility is the ability to listen to those answers and then think on their feet about what do you say or what do you answer that or what do you do to continue the conversation and offer solutions that are germane to the conversation and the individual. So asking great questions and having a really strong learning agility to take that information and utilize it in a way that is helpful to the customer. That's what wow. I would say is kind of the key to great success in sales today. Huh. Oh, that's super interesting. I'll, I'll have to look more into learning agility. I, I will say one of the reasons why I love having you as, as a coach in my business life and personal life is that you ask really great questions. So I, I give you props on that. And that's probably why you're good at teaching other people. Good. Too. Good. That's good to hear. <laughs> I, I get to meet my own dog food, as they say. <laughs> exactly. So um, now let's go back. Uh, Back in 2012, you helped sell the company Conexa to IBM. IBM, one of the most iconic, biggest companies in the world. And of course, you've talked a little bit about the emotions that come with the win. But I know you've also talked about some conflicting emotions uh, after the fact and over the years. Can you tell me about your transition and maybe a little bit about the process? Because this is obviously something a dentist has never right. been inside the room for. Right. And I, I, I don't think it's a, my point of view on this is, is that when you've worked really hard at something and you've built it up and now it is going to be someone else's, that's a really hard thing to do. Right. You love the check. Boy, it's good to go to the bank and deposit that nice big check. Right. And it does transform your life. You know, no matter what the amount, it does transform your life and it can transform your family's life, all of those sorts of things. But on the other hand, you lose your baby, you know, you, 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 you've just 
basically taken everything you've done and you've handed it off to somebody. And that's hard emotionally, you know, because so you've got this hard and this soft emotions that happen between and in and through that process. And it takes you a little bit to, to work through it. It was tough. I mean, it was tough for all of us um, when we when we did that transaction with with IBM. But at the same time, it was transformative. You know, it gave us an opportunity to do a whole bunch of other things. It gave us, you know, um, a lot for our family. So I, I don't know if there's any advice I could give you, but I think the thing you need to do, because the IBM thing that for us, we were a publicly traded company. Connexo was publicly traded. So IBM came in and bought us off the market and we had no say in it. So it was a it was essentially a surprise. It was forced upon us, right? So that made it that made it even a little bit more difficult. But if you're a, you know, and I've transacted a lot of smaller businesses too, and the, but the emotion is the same. My advice is is to really think through those two buckets, right? What does that mean from a from a from a rational standpoint on, you know, that transaction, that check, all of that? What does that do, and what are you going to do with that? Right. What it, what would what would be your plans or how are you going to shape, you know, what you're what you're doing uh, and, and what your life's going to be like? On the other hand, you know, are you comfortable with where it's going to go? And if I made any one mistake is that I stayed around a little too long. You know, I tried to kind of keep my baby, you know, and mm-hmm. nurture it, and keep it the way it was. And it was hard. It made the separation even harder. So I think my advice and the thing I learned is, is that have a plan for the the check, but also have a plan for getting out and being okay with that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and don't drag it on because it's a, it's a, in our case, it was a, you know, death by a thousand pinpricks, right? <laughs> and the happier people in our management team that just got out right away, or that the people got out right away, they were happier. They just cut the cord and it was gone. So, yeah. you know, again, I think you have to, every transaction is different. Sometimes you have to stay on for a while to make sure the business continues. Totally get that. But just be prepared of what that's going to look like on that emotional transaction when you when you sell your baby. I think that's, you know, the <clears throat> a lot of dentists are getting offers, really good offers from dental service organizations, DSOs, corporate per se. Um, and yeah, it is kind of life-changing money. Um, it's the relationship with patients that I think, uh, some of us, even though we might have to stay two, three, uh, up to five years to get a second bite of a, an apple with like a PE exit or recap event. Um, it's, it's still scary. And yeah, so what I think what you're saying is, you know, you have to separate those feelings from, Hey, you know, I got what I wanted financially for my family. And yet, you know, on the other hand, I need to separate myself emotionally from, from it. Um, and, and one other just kind of bit of advice on this thing is that there's been a lot of deals that we just did, we walked away from. We just literally walked away from because we didn't want to give it up. We wanted to stay with it. We enjoyed it too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, business is hard. I mean, it is hard, but it's hard when it's not yours either, you know? <laughs> and and so, so you know, don't rush your way into that. And, and there have been some of the best deals that we walked away from because it just didn't. We didn't want to, we didn't want somebody else taking it over. We wanted to continue mm-hmm. to do it and we would have made a lot of money, but boy, I think we were happier in, in those two cases. Yeah. Um, 
a few final questions, I guess. Um, you know, you now uh, you help run your company currently, and then you also make some other investments. Um, I know you've talked about previously making investments when you were at, uh, I think maybe it was Conexa of um, buying uh, the research side. What are some of the, uh, of a, of a company, what are some of like the most fun or interesting investments that you've ever done? And I, I kind of want to frame it because in dentistry, we have so many new technologies that we could leverage um, whether it's 3d scanning or maybe a 3d x-ray. And these are generally for the dentist, it's like, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand dollars for some of these equipments or technologies. Um, what are some of the most interesting or fun things you've um, leveraged and gotten good, um, either emotional wins or re actual return on investments in your different careers? <laughs> well, boy, that's a, that's a tough question, Addison, because I'm a little schizophrenic in that I don't just stay with one lane. I, I've always liked the variety. And that's why I guess I was in the advertising marketing agency world is because I liked working on different clients. I was always kind of a little ADHD, but more importantly, I was just curious, you know, how do they do stuff? How does that get done? You know, and all of those sorts of things. So I, I can tell you some of the deals that have just been total train wrecks, you know, after you sell a company, you think you're kind of bulletproof. So you're like, ah, everything I invest in, everything's going to work. It's going to be ah, great. Right. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, um, yeah. So we invested in a training company, a very large training company. It was a train wreck. It was an absolute total train wreck. Everything went wrong with it. The operations were bad. The, the, the leadership, the turnover, the, and then we started blowing covenances to agreements and geez, it was, we had to basically just do a fire sale and get the hell out of it. It was terrible. Um, but I learned more in that, those dark days of six to eight months in the trenches of that, that made all the difference in the world on a couple other deals, you know? And so it's not always just the successes. We always look at the successes, but sometimes the train wrecks, the disasters are the ones that, you know, you learn the most and you apply and you realize that you're kind of human and you're, you know, you're, you, you, you do make mistakes. You do make bad choices, but there's a way to make your way out of it, right? By learning by what you did, you know, and a couple other deals that we've done that have just been wildly fun is, you know, we're doing this insurance company roll up that is really interesting, helping these small town insurance companies um, go through a transaction of their older ownership into bringing some systems and some technologies, yet still keeping the local presence within many of these small towns in the Midwest. Sounds a little altruistic, but there's really a nice business to be built on that. And it's there's nothing really crazy sexy about it, but it's just a nice, smart, everybody wins kind of business. Mm -hmm. And then I've done a couple crazy things like invested in a, in a blockchain technology company that, you know, it's like, it's like it'll either be really, 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 really good, or it's going to be, you know, total bust and everybody's going to lose their money, right? So, you know, you just, I guess the thing about it is, is that I grew up on a farm and, you know, growing up on a farm, you know, there's the, the adage of don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how I've kind of thought about this is let's kind of make sure that we put things in different places so that you know, we hope one hits, we know a couple are going to fail and all of those sort of things kind of even out in the end. But mostly I do it because it's interesting. 
going back mm -hmm. to human behavior. It's just interesting. Yeah. Well, I think the takeaway I would get from that is, you know, as a dentist doing a lot of variety, um, whether yeah. it's fillings, crowns, different clinical procedures is a lot of fun. But if you were to say like, oh, I'm going to bet my practice on implants and go 100% implants, you know, there's a high risk of failure and you might learn a lot. Hopefully, you, hopefully you don't <laughs> have to learn the hard way. But, uh, you know, there's, yeah, there's something to be said for, yeah, the don't put your eggs all in one basket. So, um, well, Tim, I appreciate you spending a few minutes with me today. Um, you have a really interesting history and your research into human behavior and what makes people tick and asking good questions is great advice for um, the dental community listening here. So I uh, appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, and congratulations on all your success, Addison. It's, it's fun to watch. Fun to watch. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. For more information about this topic, as well as any others, check us out at www.dentalsuccessnetwork.com or connect with me at addisonkilleen.com. Have a great day.